Welcome to the 200th episode of the Policy Viz podcast. That's right. This is episode number 200 of the podcast. I've been running this podcast now for six years. I've spoken to countless practitioners, researchers, experts in the fields of data visualization, open data, and presentation skills. And I'm so happy to still be bringing you this podcast every other week. I really don't know how to put seven seasons of a podcast into perspective. I started this podcast back in 2015. It was originally just a couple of audio shorts that I posted on my blog thinking, well, I'll just have some conversations with some folks in the field and then turn it into a podcast. And since then, it's really just been uh, continued in the various interviews that I've done with people from all across the field of data visualization and data communication uh, and research, not just in the data visualization field, but also in public health, in economics, in artificial intelligence, machine learning, you count it, I have been talking about it on this show. Early on, I was really concerned about trying to get the number of listeners and the number of downloads up on the show. I was trying to track the downloads, trying to check where people were listening to it, what platform they were listening to the show. And after a while, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing it. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy interviewing people. I enjoy talking to people about the work that they're doing, about the insights that they can provide to both myself and to you as a listener. And so about two years ago, I stopped looking at the traffic. I don't even know how many people look and download the podcast at this point. I just do it because I enjoy doing it. And I enjoy the technical challenge of bringing you high quality audio and high quality interviews. I've enjoyed trying to get it over onto YouTube to see how I can improve that platform and getting the podcast over there. But I've also enjoyed just getting to know so many different data visualization experts and practitioners. And in many ways, the show just follows my interests in the data visualization field and related fields. Uh, I started uh, this past season back in September, really focusing on racial equity, especially as it applies to data and data visualization. Obviously something that I've been working on a lot on recently with two recent papers, one on racism in the field of economics and one on how we as data communicators can do a better job communicating our data through a lens of racial equity. So before we get to this week's episode, and it's sort of a special episode, I want to just thank everyone who's been listening to the show, downloading the show, reaching out to me with guests, uh, both specific people and general ideas for topics. I want to thank all the folks who have helped me pull this podcast together, the sound editors, the folks who helped me with transcription, the folks who have made suggestions on different technical ideas of recording equipment and platforms, all the different support that I have required to make this show what it is each and every other week bringing it to you for the last uh, six years. So I'm very excited to bring you the 200th episode of the podcast. And for this 200th episode, I am going to switch things around a little bit. So instead of me interviewing someone on the show, I've actually invited two other folks uh, to interview me on the podcast. So as you may know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my Urban Institute colleague, Alice Fang and I released a report, the Do No Harm Guide, uh, a view about racial equity in data visualization. We focus on many aspects of how we as data communicators can take a better perspective on racial equity as it applies to data and data visualization. For example, the words that we use in our graphs, the way in which we order racial and ethnic groups in our graphs. 
So for this week's episode of the show, I invited Renee McLeod, who is from uh, Tableau, to help us talk about the new No Harm Guide and interview Alice and I about the report. So Renee works at Tableau. She has three daughters and she is on the board of directors at Families of Color Seattle. She has led inclusive marketing efforts at Tableau and she centers her work on the convergence of technology, data and community for driving advocacy, understanding and impact. Alice, uh, my former colleague at the Urban Institute, she is now on a new adventure at Natira. She is passionate about using data and making data and information accessible to broader audiences. And she has been exploring ways to bring diversity, equity, inclusion into her daily data visualization work. So I hope you will enjoy this turnaround on the Policy Viz podcast on this week's episode of the show, where we're gonna talk about the Do No Harm Guide. So we'll get right to it. Here is our discussion with Renee, Alice, and myself. Hey there, nice to meet everybody. I am Renee McLeod, and I am a part of the marketing department over at Tableau, and my role is around kind of building out our inclusive marketing office. And what that means is how do we make sure that folks are taking an inclusive lens against how they approach the work, right? So it's not just about DEI anchored um, topics or content or events. It's really about how do we make sure that end to end we as an organization are, are proactively thinking about inclusion in everything from how we think about who our customers are, how we think about our strategy, who we work with, all the way through to the content that we kind of put out there in the world. And that is one of the things that actually resonated so much with me about the Do No Harm Guide and your work, John and Alice, like to be able to, the, the way that you're thinking about how this lens can fold into research um, and the visualization of data and how you're working with communities that just resonated so much with what we're trying to accomplish um, in our work. So I was really excited to get to be a part of this conversation and get to work with you. So, yeah, thanks, Renee. Um, I guess I'll start. It was a long project, and I think we learned a lot, not just about like the the topic and the message of the of the report, but also. Mm -hmm how to do this kind of work. I mean, I don't want to speak for Alice, but like, I don't think either of us, I mean, I'm certainly a quantitative person. So like doing all of these interviews was definitely a, a new kind of experience. And then we talk a lot in the paper about like quantitative people should be doing more qualitative work. And so we were trying to live by what we were, what we were talking about a little bit. Um, but it was a, it was a challenge in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And it feels new, right? Like, I, I feel like there are elements that have been touched on right? From different perspectives. But this kind of cohesive guidance, I think, is really, really interesting and helpful. And I was wondering, was there a particular catalyst or point in time where you realized that there was a need to address these topics or there was a need to kind of take this approach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been on our back burner for a while. Uh, the original impetus for this work was uh, from uh, a planned update we wanted to do to the Urban Institute's data visualization style guide. Uh, and as part of that update, we wanted to expand beyond just giving like design specifications or chart guidance. We wanted to make it a more complete and holistic document. And so we wanted to add, touch on other topics mm -hmm. 
uh, that go beyond just design of charts, but things like accessibility and this idea of how to integrate DEI into the way we visualize data was another topic that was brought up. Uh, but you know, we embarked on this update a long, long time ago. I mean, when John said we've been working on this for, for a very long time, he was not exaggerating. <laughs> I mean, literally before the pandemic, we started drafting this update. And so we had this idea that we were going to add DEI as a new section to this style guide. Uh, but I think our efforts were a bit slow in the beginning, just because this area was so new and undefined. We didn't see a lot of other people who had already been tackling these sorts of topics. Um, so I think, yeah, we kind of let it lie dormant for a while until last summer, last May, when all the racial justice protests were happening. We realized that, oh, we can't just continue to sit on our hands here. We really have to do something. This is our opportunity to uh, contribute to this broader dialogue this entire country has been having in a, a field that we are um, you know, both very comfortable with. Um, and so we, I think that was kind of like the catalyst for us to really start moving on this. And uh, if there were already a lot of other people thinking about this, maybe we'll, we'll be the first ones to sort of start a, you know, plant a flag in the ground and at least come out with our own thoughts um, and ideas about this topic. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I think we just, it just kind of snowballed. We got a great response to the original short paper that we published last year. And then, yeah, Tableau, I don't know, John, you could probably talk more to exactly how we got connected with Tableau on this, but yeah. uh, thanks to the support from Tableau, we were given an opportunity to really build on that initial short paper that we created and had a chance to really embark on this really great journey. Um, we got to talk to so many more people and just, I, I definitely brought in my own horizons in terms of thinking about DEI and data viz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also the case that there's so much research at urban going on about different groups. You know, we have a justice group that's working on criminal justice. We have a, you know, health group that was working on uh, issues, especially during the pandemic, obviously around COVID and how that was affecting different communities, especially communities of color. And, you know, I don't think we were really giving, as an organization, giving a very strategic thought about how we were, we were certainly were, we were trying to use people first language, but that's kind of as far as we went. And I think mm -hmm. in the teams that were doing data visualization specifically, you now I can say for myself, like it wasn't really something that I took a conscious thought to. And so could, you know, could we not so much set rules, mm -hmm. but at least place a marker down that says at the end, like, think about this, like just pause, take a breath, and think about this. And then, you know, maybe the words that you're using are correct. And maybe the order of the variables in the bar chart or table are correct. And that, you know, that can be fine, but there's probably a better way. And we need to be thinking about that. And, and I don't think, I know I wasn't really taking a, a hard look at that before Alice and I really started diving into this, into this work. I think that's one of those those things that stands out to me too. What you said just a moment ago about pausing, right? And I feel like sometimes, you know, sometimes we get caught in our brain tracks, right? And we keep doing the same thing and it is now best practice and we don't kind of reconsider, you know, how do we kind of influence a change to influence a change, right? Like mm -hmm. how do we how do we take that moment? And I feel like that's one of the really kind of lovely things about this as a tool, as a resource for folks to kind of help people bridge that gap. Um, you know, Alice, when you were talking a moment ago, you talked about kind of how initially this started as a style guide and then it kind of evolved into this do no harm guide. 
did the process of creating it, did the process you were going through evolve with that? Or what did that process look like to where you were able to bring this into fruition? Yeah, I would say definitely the process evolved a lot um, between the style guide and that initial short paper that John and I wrote last year. Uh, I mean, our process was very, I guess, kind of internal for lack of a better word. I mean, it was really just he and I kind of thinking, brainstorming, getting down our own thoughts. Uh, but we realized to, if we really wanted to you know, expand the scope of this work, and bring in all the other issues surrounding DEI and data biz that go beyond just, you know, what does your chart look like? Mm. Um, we would have to talk to other people, you know, engage with other people working in this field. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest changes in uh, our approach between you know, initial work and then this do no harm guide was, as John mentioned, you know, going out there and conducting interviews, doing more qualitative type work, mm -hmm. um, really reaching out to a variety of folks, um, people in academia, people in journalism, people in the private sector, really trying to get a, a variety of you know, viewpoints and experiences um, as, as a you know, guide about DEI should. Um, and yeah, just talking with them, learning from them. They connected us with more people, with more resources, um, and definitely, uh, I think, made, made for a much stronger piece of work than if it was just what you know, John and I could think of and, and, and were aware of. Right on. Right on. I'm just curious about the folks that you interviewed as you were kind of going through this kind of, it sounds like almost like a snowball, right? Like it, like, as it evolved and grew, did, did you find that you were, you were connecting and having conversations with people from different fields? What did that look like? Where it, was it researchers? Was it community members? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So I think we had like in the first, in the short paper that you know, back to the style guide, like that paper starts with in redeveloping our Urban Institute style guide. I mean, it really starts with like, that's what the, that's the anchor. Mm -hmm. Whereas the new piece is anchored on the issue of taking a more inclusive look to data and database. So it is just like a total sea change. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had a few people that we cited in the original paper that we reached out to. And then especially in late 2020, I, you know, we were connected with other people and then there were people just like doing more work. So um, I saw um, the director of the UCLA, I think their name is like uh, Center of, of Public Health Communication. I can't exactly remember what, but Nina's Ponce runs that group. And I saw Nina's talk at some event, you know, some virtual event. And I was like, wow, like they are clearly doing work that is aligned with the work that Alice and I are doing. So you know, you sort of take a shot and hope that they'll get back to you. And, you know, I sent Nina an email and she was like, yeah, we'll definitely talk. Like, here's the six other people on our team that, you know, would also like to talk with you. And then we had talked with them for like 90 minutes and they said, you should talk to, you know, here's the seven other people you should talk to. And, and I'd say, you know, we, you know, we had to at some point constrain ourselves because we could have mm -hmm. spent, you know, hours upon hours talking to people and never getting to the point of like actually trying to circle around with what are we going to say? What is the point of this document? You know, mm -hmm. you have to, again, I come back to this like qualitative quantitative thing, just because like for me personally, there's a lot of parts of this project that have been personal in a lot of ways in both like professionally and personally, but on the professional side, like the, the concept of doing this qualitative work, like when you do quantitative work mm -hmm. for me, at least you download some data 
you analyze the data, you run your thing, you write your paper, and it kind of like wrapped up in a little bow. Mm-hmm. And the qualitative work is like, there's just all these threads that that just reach out. And like, I'm just fascinated by how qualitative folks end up like, how do you cut the thread, right? And say, <laughs> okay, I've like reached the point where like, I can write this up. And I think Alice and I at some point just said, we need to start writing and stop like talking to everybody. Because the other thing is to the other part of your question is like, uh, all of the different sectors that we talk to. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so interesting to talk to a data journalist and then talk to someone in public health and then talk to a sociologist and then talk to someone, you know, building technical tools. I mean, you're learning all of these different things and all these different perspectives. And mm-hmm. that's terrific. It's like kind of like being a graduate student again, like you're getting paid to learn, right? Like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point you have to rein it in and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to write, we're going to start writing. And I think that was, part part of our challenge was reining ourselves in to say okay we need to we need to sit down and you know wrap this part this phase of the work up and mm-hmm. and start pulling it together yeah i will say the other thing i was really blown away by was just the response we got when we reached out to people asking if they would be willing to take the time to talk to us i think you know when john and i started drafting up a list we our expectations like maybe less than half the people would say yes or even yeah. respond and yet the vast actually the vast majority of people were very willing to talk to us and they were many people we had no personal connection to, we had never really reached out to before, right. but they were just kind enough, generous enough to give us our time, give us their time. And I think that also just speaks to, yeah, this just this desire, enthusiasm to talk more about this really important topic. So that was, I think, also something that made it really exciting. And, but also, yeah, it made it hard to, to like cut off because everyone just kept saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and also you should talk. Yes, and also you should talk. talk right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that has been, you know, in, in my experience as well, and another thing that resonates, right, is this, there are these learnings and perspectives that when you kind of broaden the lens in the field of who you're speaking with, that carry into what we're doing, right? Like, I feel like what you have created here is, you know, I, you know, I understand it's, it's, uh, it's on a specific topic, but the tenets that you speak of, right? And one of the things that has kind of really stood out to me was how you speak about empathy, right? And like, these are the things that I think play into like different areas where folks are trying to apply a similar lens, right? Like I've learned so much from both of you that I can bring into my own work, right? Even outside of the of the piece where we're talking about visualization or some of the other elements. Um, could you talk to me a little bit about empathy and the role that that kind of played in this work for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a big, a big, do you want to start? I think there's in the data viz field specifically, there is this concept of how do we get our reader or our user to be empathetic with the content that we are presenting, right? I mean, it's just a it's just a constant challenge when you're communicating data. Like, how do you get people to feel, you know, GDP and unemployment, but then like, you know, COVID mortality, mm-hmm. infant mortality? Like, how do you get people to put themselves in the perspective of the people that you're talking about or the data points, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you make a bar chart and you're aggregating you know, deaths from COVID and it's just this abstract shape. And, you know, how do you get people to relate to that data? How do you get them to feel that 
so that they want to do something about it, right? And mm-hmm. and they want to, and uh, and policies can be changed, and and society can be improved. And so I think that's just an underlying challenge in the in the data biz field. And I think we wanted to see if we could take that another. I don't know if it's a it's a bigger step or just in a slightly different direction when it comes to. It's not just about that abstract shape. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, who are you representing? Who are you talking about mm-hmm. in in the in the visualization that you're that you're producing? And mm-hmm. I would say it was a common. It's certainly a common through line in the in the project in the report. And I would say also that it was pretty common in all of our conversations that empathy or some variation on this idea of empathy would come up. And I'll just I'll I'll, I'll say one more thing and then and then let Alice you know, fix everything. I, I said this wrong, but um, we had the, the conversation we had with the UCLA team was really interesting. Um, they do a lot of work uh, in Southern California with native Hawaiians and Asian Pacific Islanders. And one of the parts of that conversation was they bring a lot of their uh, products about the AAPI community to the community groups that they're, they're in touch with. And, and one of the one of the members of that team told us, you know, we've built these relationships over time. And one of the things that we have to do, especially for like the native Hawaiian community, is to go to them. We can't have them. They Just the way that that culture and that society and that community works, we go to them. We don't have them. They don't come to us. Mm-hmm. And just that like very, I don't want to say it's simple because it's not simple, but that insight was really striking to me because mm-hmm. It is something that you have to do from the researcher or the data producer perspective position. And it's a physical thing you have to do, mm-hmm. right? It's not sitting behind your computer, right? It's mm-hmm. not picking the colors for your bar chart. It's something you physically have to do. And that mm-hmm. to me was one of the bigger insights for me of this whole work that there's more to everything that we're doing. That's it's more than just using better words. It's more than just picking colors that make sense and not using icons that are racist or stereotypical. It's just, it's more than that. And that's, I think how the, the project went from what, as Alice mentioned earlier, that we thought we'd just talk to a few people and we great, like a 15 page thing to, to, to growing to this 50 page report and talking mm-hmm. to, or, you know, however many, we, you know, a couple dozen people. Yeah, I think, and I think Johnny captured it perfectly. It's just empathy, I think, needs to be baked into the entire project and process. It can't just be retrofitted onto the data viz portion. You can't just make your charts with people first language and the right colors. Mm -hmm. If your entire research process, if the data you're using is, you know, flawed, biased, racist, what have you, right? Uh, Following the principles in our guide won't fix those sorts of issues. So you really need to have empathy in the way that, yeah, you engage your communities, the way you approach your research, uh, the way your understanding of your data, and also just, you know, who who it is that's doing the research, right? Who are you? Who's your team? Who's your organization? Do you all also reflect and embrace that spirit of DEI? Mm-hmm. I think all these pieces are really important to have final communication products that are empathetic. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing I would also add is that, yeah, as John mentioned, you know, in the data viz field, there's definitely some debate over whether or not data viz can even really achieve any empathy, right? There's some people who I think feel strongly that charts and graphs just, they just can't inherently, they can't. But I would argue, even if you have that perspective, data viz can definitely be still used in wrong and harmful in harmful sorts of ways. We have that example of the redlining map from the homeowners loan corporation, right? And that's definitely a very explicitly 
racist data visualization that has had uh, harmful impacts that's been perpetuated across generations. So even if you don't necessarily believe that database can achieve empathy, if you aren't still thoughtful about how you make your charts and how you communicate your data, you can you can still end up with harmful impacts, right? Yeah. So I think that's something I would add. And that, like, I'm, I'm so glad that you are kind of speaking to this like as you're as you're speaking to this idea of there are the there are the end game things that you can do that will visually do a b and c and kind of help you do these things but if from the beginning from the the development of your strategy how you're choosing to engage like if you're not bringing if you're not bringing that lens in early it can influence um, it can influence all throughout. And I feel like well, that's one of the things that has um, stood out for me when I was when I was reading through the guide is that it takes things that may initially feel abstract and provides practical guidance. And I think that that is one of the big missing pieces and from the beginning, right? Like it, it has you think um, foundationally. Uh, and so I think that's one of the things that stands out to me and that I am incorporating into my own work. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's what we want to hear. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, I, I think we, we definitely struggled with some of the sections. Like mm -hmm. we, we write about, you know, having a diverse uh, workforce mm -hmm. and a diverse teams and how that impacts the analysis. And, you know, there are whole libraries, right? Whole, you know, sets of literature on that particular topic. And, mm -hmm. But we felt it was important, especially when it comes to the data part. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just about having diverse teams because having diverse teams is, you know, good in some mm -hmm. sort of, you know, I don't even know what the woke, right? right. Like the, right. the derogatory use of the word woke, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that having those diverse teams makes the final products better, Absolutely. right? And thinking about these different groups makes the work ultimately better. Yep. Um, I'll tell one story. So, so we, um, this is, this is uh, sort of a little off topic, but you know, one of the things that we considered early on is like, should we write about accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. So should we write about, you know, people who have challenges with, you know, because of vision impairments or physical impairments. And we said, you know, again, we need to like, we need to cut this off at some point. Otherwise mm -hmm. we're, you know, we'll never get it done, but we were doing similar work along those lines. And we ended up talking to our, our blog team, at Urban about, you know, we should have our researchers write alt text for the images that appear in their blog posts. And we sort of had this back and forth. Well, should the researcher do it? You know, they don't really know how to write alt text. You know, it is a skill, um, even though they're their content producers. Well, maybe the blog team should write it because, you know, they're the writers and, you know, they know how to write it. And Alice made this really fantastic point in this meeting that the researchers really should write the alt text because, it forces them to recognize that there are these other needs and these mm -hmm. groups of people that maybe the researcher doesn't necessarily think about uh, immediately. And I think that that insight was one of those other things that sort of came out of this report. Um, mm -hmm. And again, sort of right goes back to empathy. I mean, at, at its yep. core, right? That's, that's about empathy. Yep. Um, but it's about getting everybody in this case, everybody in the organization mm -hmm. to think about, uh, think about these other groups and to have empathy as opposed to saying, there's this group of people in the communications department or in the data viz department, and that's their job mm -hmm. to think about that. And the researchers or the marketing folks or the PR or whoever it is will just do their work and these other people will think about it. And that's mm -hmm. where we tried to, I think, kind of tried to bridge the gap a little bit. 
and that that seems like another example of that pause, right? And mm. and w- and when you're talking about, I feel like there's there's like this third piece, like when you when when we're talking about kind of the the process being more inclusive, leading to a more like a better outcome too. Like if I feel as someone who gets to experience being in only in different rooms, it it also I feel like makes spaces more inclusive for the people doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not always the one that has to raise your hand to flag the thing because it's attached yeah. to your identity or somehow connected or, or for whatever the reason is. Um, and so that's the other thing that I think is really great. And because the way that you have painted this picture with this guide, it I feel like it helps, it helps kind of bring in that context there. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about the practical application a little bit and we're talking about having a moment to pause and so I was wondering can we talk a little bit about why it's important to like it's important to have best practices even while we're kind of breaking old practices can you talk a little bit more about that I feel like your 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 example a moment ago kind of a kind of touches on this but if we could go down that road further I'd be into it (laughs) you want to start Want me to start? You start? You can go first, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think the whole guide is intended to be practical, Mm -hmm. right? It's intended to, and it's not intended to be a set of rules. I think Mm -hmm. we we were pretty conscious about that up front. I mean, I will say from my perspective is like, I have to say middle-aged at this point. It feels very middle-aged. Middle-aged white guy. Like, perhaps I'm not the right person to be writing about this. And so we definitely didn't want to set rules. Mm -hmm. We definitely didn't want to say this is the right way or the wrong way, because like you said earlier, Renee, like there's not a lot out there on these particular topics. So Mm -hmm. how can we just, I don't want to even say like kick off a discussion because these discussions are being had, but like, how can we sort of have this maybe cornerstone document that can Mm -hmm. really start, you know, have more of the literature written around this and, and maybe we can find, uh, best practices. Um, I mean, I think for me, one of the most tangible things that we talked about was like finding a phrase to replace the word other or a word or a phrase to replace mm. the word other in our work. Like, again, you know, I download any data set that I use in my, in my research, there's going to be a category for other. And there are lots of technical reasons that that happens. There's like survey reasons. There's mm. practical reasons why, you know, survey instruments don't just list 500 categories in every survey. I mean, there are reasons for it, but as the communicator, are there better ways? And can we provide in this particular guide, can we provide the reader with some practical alternatives? Mm -hmm. And I think we, I mean, just interestingly, like stumbling upon, you know, people trying different things. We have a list, I think of like seven or eight alternatives. And one of those options was like someone sent it to me in like the chat window of a talk I was giving. Like, hey, what about, you know, this idea? And like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, that that works. Like, sure, like whoever has a good idea, let's put it in the hopper and let's see what works. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's, in DataViz, one of the things that I like about the DataViz community is that for the most part, people are kind of like, eh, there's not really rules. We're just kind of trying to figure out what are the best ways forward. Mm-hmm. And there is research, obviously, but a lot of it is on on the practice. Mm-hmm. Like, let's try some things and let's see what works and let's see what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and and we'll see what you know what we think kind of works the best yeah and i think the other thing is that i hope that our guide also offers uh sort of a variety of effortful <laughs> some of these uh changes might be like like i think there's some steps that are pretty manageable right like like in terms of how much change we're asking you to make, like things like choosing a better color palette or, or like alternatives to the word other using people first language. Like those are changes I think mm-hmm. are within a scope that most people I think would feel comfortable embracing mm-hmm. or some of the other changes we asked were like, how do you go about doing organizational change or how do you go about, you know, doing qualitative research if that's not at all your background or how do you, you know, address data that might be biased or flawed? Like those things might feel like really big kind of daunting topics, you know, things to try to embrace in your own practice. So I hope the guy kind of offers like a spectrum of things that are easily achievable uh, and things that are maybe a bit more ambitious. Uh, so people, you know, aren't overwhelmed, but, um, but can definitely like read the guide and, and come away with something, some concrete actions that they can hopefully themselves and, and their teams actually, actually implement in their work. In this piece, I mean, it's, it's a little bit attached to, to what, what we were just talking about and this, the idea of there being like we gotta focus in on scope, right? Like where where do we yeah. kind of hold hold the line? And sorry, stick with me. There's a couple of ideas in my head right now. So there's <laughs> that piece, but then there's also this idea or this piece of um, some of the idea of evolving understanding, right? Like even I'm hearing conversations about evolving from the word inclusion because it implies being someone brought in versus belonging, which is like you are already here and you are supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And and when you think about the way forward, right, um, can you talk a little bit about how you see this guide potentially evolving or other kind of conversations that you hope grow from this point? Yeah, I mean, I would say that this guide is definitely very much a living, breathing document. It is very much a first iteration or first volume it's something you know we don't we certainly don't claim to be experts that you know, this this is it this is how you do dei and data biz right this is just we've dropped all the knowledge and we can right? walk away right. yeah <laughs> um, but no we definitely i mean we are absolutely open to receiving feedback we, we hope we'll receive feedback and you know we want to hear from other people what other what things did we miss what are other things that we that other people are doing uh, and so we definitely anticipate that this is a document that will continue to be hopefully updated and maintained over time. Um, and there are definitely other topics that we know we haven't touched on. Um, accessibility, as, as I mentioned before in this conversation, definitely is a big, another really big gap mm-hmm. that uh, currently exists in the field of data viz. That's something that absolutely needs to be addressed as well. Um, and just, yes, you know, society, technology continues to change and evolve. We expect our thinking will evolve, best practices will evolve, new issues will also come up that will need to be uh, addressed. So um, yeah, I think that this is very much just the start of a conversation, certainly not the, not the end of one. Yeah. We were uh, in the last week or two, as we're wrapping up all of the work on this, you know, we're in this stage of getting all the final touches on the report, you know, doing the copy editing, getting all the blogs written, all, all the things that you have to do now. It used to just be you would write the report and you'd be done. Now right. there's this whole ecosystem around it. I'm listening to an episode of Code Switch and they're talking about, do we need to retire the phrase people of color? And, you know, we've kind of had this phrase people of color and now we have 
um, you know, we have BIPOC and there's a whole part of the podcast is like, what, how do we pronounce BIPOC? You know, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm like, oh my God, we should have included that in the report. Like we should be talking about, I'm like, okay, this is, this thing is going to keep evolving and it's mm-hmm. going to keep changing and we're going to need to, you know, kind of constantly update it and revisit it. And, you know, I think that's the challenge, mm-hmm. both as data communicators and also just society, right? That we need to keep revisiting. And, and um, if we can keep that empathetic approach to all of this, I think we can, mm. you know, we can keep doing that and, and that's okay. Um, and and be willing to make those changes and to say, yeah, the language that we used last year is not the language that we're going to use this year because mm-hmm. reasons X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, I love that you use that example. I was, um, I was actually just this weekend having a conversation about this with some close friends of mine, and we were talking about how we identify just a low-key ladies' day, <laughs> like talking about <laughs> how we identify and, and how that evolves. And we got into this conversation, and one of the things that stood out to me is just what you called out, like one, the evolution of language, but also from the code switch perspective, the different ways that I may describe how I identify based on the context, right? Mm -hmm. And based on where things are out. And that's one of the things that I think is really, that I'm so glad that we're having these conversations so that there can be an understanding of that. Like even being aware that that is a consideration when we're doing this type of work is a a win, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you know it, you might see it. You might kind of have a moment to understand it. Yeah. I have another question I want to ask. I know we're almost out of time, but one of the, you know, one of the other elements of that, those evolutions and of, to Alice, to your point, like these big rocks, right? Um, When I'm approaching my work and trying to bring folks along and, and provide resources and as folks grow their own lens, that's one of the challenges, right? Is that it's kind of a, a moving piece. I was wondering if one, if you have any, um, any thoughts on, do you see that as one of the biggest challenges or do you have ways that you would suggest that people think about this work to better equip the folks around them with it? Are there any, is there any standouts for you? Change is the hardest part of this. I think we, we, we know that everything changes, right? That, that, language and i mean when it comes to data and data viz like the technology and the tools all that's changing Mm -hmm. i think a couple things we need to do is one we need to be able to have these conversations we need to be able to talk about race and we need to talk about ethnicity and gender and the and the intersections of all those different groups and we need to be able to have those conversations openly especially with the people that we work with Mm -hmm. i mean if at least we start there right and we can say what is the better path forward for us as a team or an organization? And then it builds up to society as a whole. But, you know, if we can have those conversations mm-hmm. openly and honestly, which is very hard to do. I mean, I don't think, I mean, and I will say like, I, you know, it's something that I reference a lot, you know, uh, Robin D'Angelo and, and, and her white fragility book mm-hmm. makes, I think the accurate point that talking about race is not easy for white people because, mm-hmm. and I will, as a white person, you know, we take for granted, right? We don't have a lot of the, uh, Renee, as you just mentioned, like I don't have a code switching perspective, right? Like I don't have to think about that. Mm-hmm. And and that perspective is something that 
we, I think, can change, obviously, again, back to the empathy, but also having people around us where we can have these conversations. And with especially within a group or a team where someone can say to me, John, you said this thing wrong or, you know, you wrote down this thing that I don't it doesn't have to be a personal thing. You know, mm-hmm. you use this term that I think it would be better off if we use this other term. Like it's not aggressive. It's not personal. It's just, you know, I think we could be improved. That I think is only makes us all better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that again is, I think in a lot of ways easier when it's within our own teams and groups and organizations, when we are working with the people that we trust and are friendly with and, and interact with all the time, you know, before you worry about saying something wrong on Twitter, or, you know, Facebook, you know, the social media, uh, machines. Um, so I think that's where I, I tend to think about starting Mm -hmm. is that honest discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think definitely honest discussions are critical. I think, I think I, I would hope that our guide is one of those tools that for people who are trying to, uh, bring about change in their organization, right? There's always going to be a spectrum of people who are very eager and embracing of these sorts of efforts. And then there's always going to be people who are just incredibly reluctant, no matter how many brown bags, no matter how many resources you throw at them, they just aren't going to attend. They're not going to read it. They just don't want to, they don't want to be involved or think about these issues at all. Right. So I think for the people who are like the, the change makers within their organizations, I hope that our resource can be one of those tools that helps them bring about that change and that they can point to as they try to convince the less change friendly people in, mm-hmm. in the group that, you know, this is uh, something we should all be thinking about. This is, these are the practices that we should be adopting. This is a better way for us to be doing our work. Um, so I hope we can also help people in that sense as well. Awesome. Um, so uh, I think y'all know I have a favorite last question. <laughs> <laughs> We've only done this a couple times. I think, you know, we don't, we don't, well, now we know Renee's right. approach to these interviews. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, after our chat today and and the the work that's underway, if there's one thing you want to make sure folks walk away with that really sticks with them, what would that be? <laughs> um, I mean, gosh, there's there's so many things I hope people uh, take away uh, from our report, but um, I would just yeah. I think I would just continue to reiterate the thoughtfulness, right? Um, the fact is that the world is really, really complex. Issues like racism or discrimination and pressure, those are very, very complex topics. And I think that's part of the reason why we shied away from trying to claim we had any rules about what to do or what not to do. Like, the fact is it's going to really depend on your situation, on topic you're studying, on who you're communicating to. Um, so just you know, be thoughtful um, when you make decisions um, and don't be afraid, I think, as well, uh, to try things. You know, it, this is this is a really t- difficult uh, topic. Um, you know, it's hard for people. I think a lot of people, I think, have good intentions and don't always know how to go about doing things uh, in the best way. And so they become afraid of even trying. But, you know, we're all going to mess up and that's, that's okay. Um, you know, just keep trying, keep learning, keep being open to hearing feedback from others. Um, and ultimately, I think if we keep doing that, we can hopefully really bring about a better better society for all of us. So I, I think my answer, you'll see why Alice and I work so well together. So Alice <laughs> has the aspirational thoughts, and I am going to give you like the more practical thing that I hope people do. So like, there are a lot of practical things, I think, in the guide. And for me, I've already talked about the word other, and we have some suggestions for that. But the other one is, when you are 
making your bar chart or your table or your graph, the order of the groups, like just think about what is that order, right? And that's a practical thing that everybody can do. And, you know, if you take your racial groups and you order them by sample size or you order them by population, um, those are reasonable ways to order your data if you order them alphabetically, but maybe ordering them by the purpose of the study or the magnitude of the effect. Like there's a lot of ways that we can present our data. And and I just hope that in as just as that is an example, that people will think purposely about how they're presenting their results to their reader, their user, or their audience member, whatever it is. And keeping in mind that, you know, how would you feel if you were one of those data points and how would you feel being presented always in the last column or the last row or the last bar, even if the effect was large or, or whatever. So, um, so this is why Alice and I like make the perfect team because we get both the, the macro and I'll do the, the more of the micro stuff. So. They're hand in hand, right? Hand in hand. You know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you both for uh, letting me come and be a part of this conversation with you. I really, really dig this work and talking with you. Um, so just congratulations. I know this was a long road. So. Thanks, Renee. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for doing this, Renee. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the Policy Viz podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have taken time to listen to maybe some of the 200 previous episodes of the show. So this is the last episode of the show for the summer. I'll be taking a break, but back to you again in September with more episodes. If you would like to support the show financially, head over to my Patreon page where you as a patron not only can receive some good policy biz swag, but also can ask questions to future guests on the show. So that'll be something new that you'll be hearing in the new season of the show. I'll be asking some questions that are provided by my patrons. So have a great summer. Thanks again for listening to the show. This has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you would like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz Podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.